Views and opinions expressed on this program are those of the guests and contributors, and not necessarily those of WFSU Public Media. What's the 411? You're tuned into 411 Teen, a weekly program for teens, families, and other interested folks. 411 Teen provides a forum to examine and discuss various issues and events that confront intersect, and sometimes interrupt our daily lives. This edition welcomes the politics rap team from James S. Rickards High School IB International Baccalaureate Program students. They represent a diverse group of students, positions, political affiliations, and perspectives. I'm Dr. Liz Hollyfield, and joining me via the Zoom platform, I welcome politics rap, uh, will you introduce yourselves? We'll start with the student producers. Nishi? Hello, my name is Nishi Nandanini. Um, I'm currently a junior at, at Rickards High School and the co-student producer for Foreign and Teen. Amad? I'm Amad Gacharya. I'm also a student producer for Foreign Teens at the Club for Rickards. Okay. And we have Dylan. Uh, yes, hello, I'm Dylan. I'm a um, sophomore at Rickards. Okay, Xavier? Hi, I'm Xavier. I'm a sophomore at Rickards. Well, I am very glad to have you all. I welcome you, and you have been on the program before, so looking forward to you sharing your perspectives and what's happening. guess we'll start with the Israeli-Gaza situation, conflict, war. Israel has renewed its assault on Gaza, warning residents sheltering in the south, which had previously been declared a safe zone to evacuate. They are updriving the death toll with aerial attacks on densely populated neighborhoods. Palestinian civilians in Gaza were given seven days to tend to their wounded, bury their dead, and sleep without the sound of bombs. The U.S. Senate could vote on a bill that would send $14 billion in taxpayer money and U.S.-made weapons to support Israel's bombing of Gaza. What are your thoughts at this point about the Gaza-Palestinian conflict? Um. I just want to like start by acknowledging the fact that it's been a continuous issue like when it comes to our economy that um, the taxes that are collected from the citizens of the U.S. like haven't been exactly like I don't want to say dis distributed but like we've always found that we're not getting enough funds for certain things or whatever because they're not exactly like facilitating the funds that they the way they like hmm. really want to for certain issues or whatever and so the fact that they want to take our taxpayers money to kill people in a very in a completely different country which i don't know that's just something i had to point out but um in terms of the actual conflict i think it's terrible what's going on in palestine right now and um in gaza and i genuinely just don't like it's a, such a simple concept, but I've never really understood the purpose of war when we have diplomats and everything. And this isn't even war, it's genocide. So, 
Well, you've answered a couple questions I was going to ask you later, and we'll get back to it. And one was, you know, is it genocide? What is going on? But let's hear where everyone sits, and then we'll get back and look at some of those other issues um, closer. Where do the rest of you sit on that? What is your position? How do you feel about it? I personally feel... Go ahead. Okay. I personally feel that the biggest thing is this is not us defending a nation. Mm -hmm. If this was us defending a nation, like with the situation with the invasion in Ukraine, Mm -hmm. we were defending a nation and the people there. In this case... This is as much an attack, right? Mm-hmm. And to me, that is uh, just something that we can't help with, right? If it's defending people, we can put our money towards helping those people. If there's mm-hmm. an earthquake, we can help with that. This is not helping people. This is only hurting people. Okay. Good points. We'll, we'll address some more of that a little later. Just um, kind of get an overview of how you see, where, how you would characterize what, where we're at and what's going on. Next. To add on to what Xavier said, I think in general, we had on one of these, um, these, these tapings, we had a conversation about whether our tax dollars should go to mm-hmm. international efforts. And I believe the topic then was about Ukraine. And I was, mm-hmm. a, I was a supporter of that. I think we should... Not only should we do it because they were being invaded and they needed it, but also in that case, it was in our interest and everyone's interest to have global security. This would be funding further killing of civilians. There is no world in which we should spend $14 billion on bombing Gaza. Yeah. Yeah, I I completely agree. I'm so sorry. No, go right ahead. I mean, it's an open discussion. We'll get to everyone. If you have a comment you want to say in response, feel free. Yeah, I, I was just really going to say that I completely agree with what Dylan was saying. $14 billion is so much that could be going to so many things that are actually like issues and instead uh-huh. of like contributing to the deaths of so many people. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with what everyone has said so far because, you know, I I do support helping out countries that do need the help. But in this case... Uh, the money is going blindly towards killing civilians, and I do not agree with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is, and it's it's not just killing civilians. I mean, for example, four Israeli attacks on journalists and the media facilities in Gaza during November of 2023 um, this fighting, the fighting the laws violated the laws of the war, and and they were targeting these attacks were targeting civilians and civilian objects. They were making no apparent contribution to the Palestinian military military operations, but they they were being targeted because they were journalists, and these attacks killed, what was it? I know they killed two Palestinian cameramen, and they wounded at least 10 media workers. There was a little two-year-old boy that lived across the street who was killed. 
Um, the buildings were badly damaged. Offices were badly damaged. And they say they were, they were targeted because they were targeting individuals who had, you know, who were, lim well, connected with a Palestinian armed group, suggesting that if you were a journalist, therefore it was permissible to attack media. I mean, you all are right on it when you say, goodness, they're targeting people who, who really, they're civilians. I mean, that, that is what is so, you know, upsetting, to say the least. I mean, you talk about atrocities. I mean, look at that. I mean, that's egregious. Is this, yeah, I think is this genocide? I mean, and I think you all have answered it, but is this genocide, okay, under the guise of eradicating Hamas? I think it is, and I think it, it goes to a, a bit of a deeper conflict that has been in that region for hundreds, thousands of years, to some by some arguments. But um, I also think that the just the issue of, you know, who should have that land, that mm -hmm. issue has kind of, there's been some diplomacy about it, there's been some negotiation, and um, I saw some statistics that, that was starting to kind of ease in the majority of people's minds, but the extremes were the ones who kind of riled both sides up and caused a war. Exactly. Indeed. That's seems to be one piece of it. It certainly does. Other comments? How do, you, do you all see this as genocide? Yeah, I, mean, I There have been over 15,000 uh, Palestinian folks killed. And out of this, and I mean, I'm probably incorrect because by the time this airs, it might be up to 20,000. I don't know. I mean, the numbers are always going up. But yeah, most of them yeah, are and mothers and, and women and children. Yeah, it, it's it's genuinely like, I don't, I don't know. I very much agree that it's like a genocide because in no like of the conflict that it's that's going on is it really does it really seem like it's war like like you've mentioned already like it's over fifteen thousand deaths and mm -hmm. so many people have been injured i think the death of the like the number of palestinians that are injured is like about fifty thousand, which is a crazy number and then for mm -hmm. israel they have maybe a little over a thousand deaths which of course is like a lot of deaths still but in comparison mm -hmm. Clearly, the number for Palestine is so much higher, and it's just—it it—it's not necessary, and yet they still continue with it, and that's the worst part of this all. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I would say this is genocide because, you know, fifty thousand deaths—that's a very large number. That's an incomprehensible number, and and this war has been only going on for like two years. Or not two, two months. months. Months, yeah. Right, yeah. And it, it seems like they're making no progress at all. It, it doesn't matter the amount of deaths that uh, are stacking up. I see no progress being made. Mm -hmm. Well, I, you know, I wonder how we define progress, how they define progress. 
I, I, I don't know. I mean, is there, what's the strategic rationale behind this? I mean, maybe we will never know, but, you know, it just seems like it's collective punishment. No matter who it is, you need to be punished because you are a Palestinian. If you're a Palestinian, then, then you're bad. I don't know. You all can kind of respond to it, think about it. Um, but, I mean, that's, where, that's kind of where we're at. I mean, even when Israelis allowed some folks to return, they refused to allow the kids to go to school. Okay? Um, it's time for us to take a break. I'll take a break and we can finish this up when we come back. I've been talking with students from Rickards High School, the politics rap team. We're going to take a quick break, but we'll get right back at you. Just tuning in. The program is 411-TEEN. I'm Dr. Liz Hollyfield, and joining me via the Zoom platform, I welcome the Politics Rap Team, and we have been examining the continued war between Israeli, the Israels, Israeli and Gaza, our Palestinians. Um, we were just talking about it. It just seems like there's no end, and the war has been going on. The last thing I had said is that Israel refused to allow kids to return to school among those who who had been returned in the exchange. And then another thing that happened is that they started pol- uh, punishing Palestinians for celebrating the return of family members. I don't I don't understand this, okay? Do you think that the two sides can find a way to peacefully coexist? I mean, is that a reality? I think that the citizens of each country probably could, but their leaders, their current leadership okay. probably can't. And I think they need to, uh, the next time that they can elect a new leader, they should uh, reflect that and try to fight for peace rather than just being riled up. Mm-hmm. Okay. And um, just to add on, it's also just like historically this conflict, although like in technical terms, this war genocide um, has been happening for like the last two months. Um, it's like it's a conflict that's dated like that's been mm-hmm. dated back like to the past thousand years, like the early 20th century, mm. especially. And I feel like, oh, since there's just so much time where they're constantly arguing over the same issue over and over again at this point i just don't see until like dylan said the leadership changes i don't see anything being resolved yeah uh just going off of what they said i think that it's one of those things where this wasn't just a reaction to something recent that's now caused them to say we need Mm -hmm. to do something this is was waiting for an opportunity to finally just solve solve this conflict in their eyes, they just finally found a chance to win the conflict for themselves. And so this isn't something that they're just going to say, okay, we're just gonna like leave Gaza alone. This is 
the this has been a plan for a long mm-hmm. time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, for the length of this conflict, for now, I don't see any. For now, I don't see any sort of um, agreement between the two countries. Um, I mean, there a miracle has to happen for some sort of agreement between the two leaderships of these countries. Well, do you think that it will take the genocide of the Palestinians to end this conflict? And because we've talked about how, lo- how old it is, how it dates back, you know, thousands of years, a thousand years at least. It's ongoing. It's about it's about the land. Um, who should get the land? Um, and that's never going to be solved. I know I had another group on, and they were saying that that basically, if you look at what's going on, they're just pushing the Palestinians further and further and further off the land. Um, they told them to go to the south, and when they got to the south, then they started bombing the south. So there's no place in southern Gaza, from what the reporters are saying, that people can live. So if they demolish and destroy the whole country, there's no place for them to come back to. I don't know. I'm just throwing this out there now. If there's no place for them to come back to, then you have accomplished, I guess, part of your goal, which was to to get them off of the 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 land. I think even if we ignore the obvious immorality with that, mm-hmm. that's not going to work out in Israel's long-term favor because they're going to have so many angry Palestinians and you know children who are growing up orphaned mm-hmm. and who will want revenge and will just have another conflict again in 20 years. I think that's a very valid point. I think that that, and I don't know, I'd like to hear you all respond to this, probably is what precipitated the conflict that we just saw. On the, you know, that's, that's why Hamas, I mean, after a while, if you push somebody into a corner and you take everything away from them and they have no rights, they can't travel, I mean, they live in an occupied territory. What do you expect people to do? I a dream deferred, regards, you know? It explodes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> In regards to the, the earlier question, I just I wanted to point out that um it's it's really unfortunate that we kind of just like have to say that like until they keep getting pushed and pushed like this conflict may never end Mm -hmm. but something to note is the fact that if other countries with more power get involved for example the country that we live in and you know try to put an end to the death toll and to everything going on and you know kind of put their foot down i feel like there would be a very clear chance at like the conflict at least like having a start to being resolved. Like, but it might but, not be fully resolved Nisha, that easily. Our country, you say like our country, did we really try to put it into it? If you think about when this started, 
Biden started out by saying, you know, he didn't believe what the reports that were coming from Gaza. We weren't trying. It didn't seem like we were trying to put an end to this. It didn't seem like we were trying to move in and help solve this. It seems like we no, were fueling yeah. it. I don't know. I no. mean, you all tell me. But um, yeah, I meant like if our country got involved, like and supported Palestine oh. instead. Mm-hmm. and tried to then it would mm-hmm. there would possibly there could be a possible start to a resolution between the two countries but mm-hmm. i don't know if that'll happen anytime soon unfortunately and it's it's a little difficult for it um i mean for one we are technically allies with israel mm-hmm. and we have a very we're in a very precarious position as a nation to get involved in this we right now we just are um advocating for peace from the sidelines if we tried to have any sort of military action, there probably wouldn't be that much support for it. We would probably take some losses as a country. It, it would just be a, we might lose Israel as an ally. It would be a difficult situation, which is why I think we are not in that right now. But mm-hmm. if they, if it escalates, like for instance, the same reason why we sent aid to Ukraine, but we didn't go into Ukraine. Whereas if they had attacked a nation in NATO, we would have. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's really interesting to me how the more you look into this, the more it's like the reason that we haven't reacted as a nation to defend Palestine is just because if we do that, we lose relations with one of our greatest allies. And that is just such a loss that we can't defend people even if we believe it's the right thing to do mm-hmm. i'm glad you added that even if we believe because what look at what's happening in our nation now look at the college campuses as far as you know support for the palestinians so so we're saying okay israelis are correct the palestinians are wrong i mean that seems like the message that we have been sending and then some folks have called him out on it, so Biden has kind of tried to sidestep that. Uh, well, you know, we 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 understand we don't really aren't advocating for the Palestinians to be, you know, murdered. We aren't advocating for them to, you know, be victims of genocide. But that's not what he started out saying. And it's only because there's been so much turmoil an uprising on our own campuses about what's going on. Um, people can see. What impact do you think this has on on Israel? I mean, people can see what's going on. If you're yeah, killing think- if you if you're killing twenty thousand people to even if you say two thousand. What is that? I mean, what are you trying to accomplish? I think when the conflict first started, it was initially well, the aggressor was considered to be Hamas. Mm-hmm. And I think that's probably why Biden's initial message was anti-Hamas. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Israel has just responded by blowing it out of proportion with the bombings okay. to Gaza. And I think a lot of I have actually seen this play out um and I've heard stories on college campuses where people just, um, some are Palestine supporters, some are Israel supporters, mm-hmm. and they just can't accept. I think we should just all be advocating for peace. I think everyone should be able to get behind that. 
and we shouldn't be advocating for the specifics. Uh, we should just be advocating for peace at this point. But yeah, and I agree. Yeah, go right ahead. Yeah, I was just going to say, and I think one of the biggest things is one of the big sides that people take is they're like, well, look at this, you know, innocent group that was hurt on one side or the other. Mm -hmm. And I think the biggest thing is on a small scale, we can't really know for certain everything that's going on because there's just so much of where are we getting the news from, right? And all this. Right. So I think a lot of it comes down to those things. We we should look at the the larger signs of what's going on, not because there's there's obviously smaller scale, really terrible things going on, but that's happening on both sides, oh. right? This is overall a terrible situation, but we need to be focusing on as a whole the reaction to it and what the groups are going to do as a result. Right. I agree with Xavier. Like both sides in their own way are each wrong. And I feel like the best sort of action that we can do is advocate for peace at this point because it's a very complicated issue. And, you know, the more we wait, the more we let this play out, the more people that are going to be killed. Well, and the more disputes that we have where we say that someone else is wrong for supporting Palestine or wrong for right. supporting Israel, that's just not productive because I don't think anyone on these college campus. Okay, I can't say not everyone, yeah. but I think the vast majority of people who are advocating one way or another in this country are not advocating for the genocide of anyone. And mm -hmm. it's just that people get riled up and they want they want to, you know, see someone else as an opposition and an enemy. And so that's that's kind of how they're wired to think. And so that's why we have conflict like that. Right. I don't think this is a situation where there should be two different sides. I feel like I feel like picking sides is what creates the issue of, okay, you're opposing me. Um, we don't believe in the same things. And that brings us to the point where no one can agree on anything. Mm -hmm. And that's why I wonder, is peace the answer? Will we ever see peace? Really? Do you think we'll... I mean, it sounds good. Yes, we should advocate for peace, but is that real? Well, also, yeah, exactly. But also, even past the point of even if this conflict gets resolved, there's so much damage that's mm -hmm. been done to, honestly, both mm -hmm. countries that, like, it's going to be such a... So much effort would need to go in into recovering and everything, and that's already, mm -hmm. like, that's not going to be peaceful for any civilian in Palestine or Israel, to be honest. So... I don't know. Like, I guess like that's not really as attainable as it's easily said. Yeah. Well, it's easier said than done. And I know yeah. we aren't going to solve it. And I know it seems like every time we meet, we're talking about it. But that's where things are at. But I'll, I'm going to close this discussion. And Nisha, you had something that you wanted us to address. So talk about it. I actually don't know as much as I probably should okay. to bring it up, but okay. um, I can read off of an article that I pulled up earlier, if that's okay. That's fine. Okay. Um, so essentially in the 1880s, the Belgian monarch Leopold II colonized the Congo Kingdom, renaming it as the Congo Free State. The constitutional 
monarch exploited unpaid human labor for the excavation of natural min- minerals such as gold and diamond, making it one of the bloodiest European colonies in Africa. Mm-hmm. However, because these natural mi- minerals were difficult to extract efficiently, Leopold II decided to use Congolese people as slaves to extract rubber and ivory instead, resulting in the death of over 10 million Congolese people. And this extensive period of colonization and slavery carried out into 1960 after the Congo National Movement fought and defeated the Belgian forces, forces officially creating the Democratic Republic of Congo as an independent country. Despite this newly established sovereignty, Belgian government, as well as neighboring Western countries, continued to subjugate the Democratic Republic of Congo to its economic and political demands and um, essentially, like, uh, the Belgians contributed to like this ongoing genocide in um, the Democratic Republic of Congo because of all of these resources, mm-hmm. and they infiltrated like neighboring African countries such as Rwanda as well. And like Belgians, Belgians' colonial policies, which favored the Tutsi minority over the Hutu min- mm-hmm. majority, I'm so sorry if I butchered that. Um, it like caused more ethnic tensions that eventually led to an- the genocide in Rwanda. And so, like now in the 21st century, um, basically this infiltration within the countries due to the um, extraction, the need for like. The, one, the desire to extract these natural resources. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was a mass genocide of over 800,000 people. And um, the Democratic Republic of Congo, which borders nine different countries, has served as a country for refuge for all of these civilians that um, were part like victims of this genocide um, and were able to escape or survive. They made it into Congo. Mm-hmm. And um, over 200,000 of them are now in Congo. But because of um, um, Angola and Zimbabwe, um, like which are neighboring countries of Congo, getting into a conflict, it started the Second Congo War. Mm. And so now there is a rise in rebel groups in Congo, which is from these past conflicts. And so now there's like caused over, I think, five million internally displaced um, uh, Cong- Congolese people with a lot of people dealing with disease, violence, and famine, and over 200,000 people had to leave their homes, all because of this, like, infiltration into other countries for their natural resources. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's, that's, that's often the case. Comments, I mean, it's usually about money and the natural resources that... What's insane is that like how much are they even going to be able to profit like if they're losing so much trying to get that in the first place they must think it's worthwhile i don't know i don't know comments what do you all think this is one of those things that i'm sitting here and i'd heard a little bit about this but it's such a huge topic that it's like it's obviously a terrible thing and is there anything we can do about it is what i'm thinking because involvement often just leads to more issues when there's this many disagreements mm-hmm. and so yeah what well, would be a possible solution i don't know let me ask you to hold your thoughts we'll come back and deal with this but i need to take a brief break and then we'll get right back at you 
Views and opinions expressed on this program are those of the guests and contributors, and not necessarily those of WFSU Public Media. You tuned in to 411 um, and we welcome you, um, the IB uh, students, politics rap. More thoughts on what's happening in the democratic society of Congo. I mean, I think I would need to do further research on this mm-hmm. before I form an opinion. Well, we can always redress it. You know, Nisi, I appreciate you bringing it up, but we can come back to it. You know, we're usually here everybody every two to three weeks, so that's something that maybe we can do some more research on. And yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, and I appreciate you bringing it up. Um, boy, in Congress, okay, in Congress and in the country as a whole, Republicans and Democrats can't seem to agree on much of anything these days. Um, Republicans don't even want the Democrats to support what they're saying. They don't want they don't want the speaker to solicit democratic support. If they do, that's unacceptable. We've talked about this before too, but do you think the American two-party system is broken? Can we continue to govern in this manner? What do you think? It always has issues and it always will. Right now is a particularly harsh point, and and I think that there's a good chance that at least some sort of change occurs, Um, whether just a new party or just a a shifting, something is going to occur, I think. Uh, Whether or not it's going to remove the two-party system entirely and replace it with, you know, we get another party or something like that, Mm -hmm. I would be surprised just because it's so difficult. We have such a, like, foundation to this system that I could, I think it would be really difficult to, like, try and, uh, for that to be removed. But it it definitely is, uh, this is a point where we're definitely going to have change. I think it's a bit of a tendency for us to come back to a two-party system if we were ever to get rid of it. Because if you think about like early American history, we have had a two-party system for a while, but there used to be different parties. There were third parties that were more prevalent. But what ended up happening was, in one way or another, one party was for something or the they were one specific group of people, like this specific region of the country. And if you had two other parties that were trying to oppose that party, they just couldn't do that with as two separate parties. So they would end up kind of merging to just become defined as the opposition to the first party. Mm-hmm. And so it, it just mm-hmm. turns back into an us versus them kind of mm-hmm. a thing. Mm-hmm. And that's why I think we're kind of driven to two parties. Well, the candidates today, they seem to spend more more energy winning the support of their own party bases than trying to appeal to a broad cross-section. The Republicans appeal to the conservatives, the Democrats appeal to the liberals. And I don't know, I'm again, 
What's your take on it? Do you think we'll ever be able to to work any differently within this system? Do you feel this system will ever be working as it should again? I think there's always going to be disagreement. And more than that, there's always going to be a certain level of you know, it, it was better before, or there was the system for, but I think that for sure right now we're at, uh, we're, we're reaching, uh, like high point of tension. So I, I think it will improve from here, but I don't think there will ever be a point when there's, you know, uh, more than three or four parties at any one point, um, that have a large control. And I don't think we'll get to a point when, it will just be um, like a partyless system because they're so they're, it's such a huge part of our society that it would just take such a large change that is so difficult for it to occur. Okay. Yeah, I mean the thing with the two-party system is that there are only two sides that you can choose <laughs> from. But the problem is, I always find myself in between issues um, regarding politics, and I think having only two parties to choose from creates a problem where no one can agree on anything mm -hmm. because if I'm, if I'm part of one party and I believe in something, it's like the other party has to disagree with that because <laughs> they're the opposite party. So hopefully in the future, we can come to have some sort of third party, which is like somewhat in between um, I'm not sure how possible that is right now, but hopefully it could be possible in the future. Okay. I also wanted to say, like, similar to kind of what Amo was saying, but uh, essentially, like, when it comes to these issues and stuff, because there's only two, there's always going to be, like, a very clear majority, and that takes away from the diversity in perspectives when it comes to policies and issues and there's always going to be one side that's larger than the other just simply mm -hmm. depending on whether there's a majority of democrats or a majority of republicans because there's like it's so rare for an independent candidate to be like you know an mm. independent party to sorry be more prominent and that's what i just like i think that because we have this two-party system it gives too much power to both parties which kind of just takes away from, I guess, like individual perspectives because it's just what the two parties view as a whole in general instead. Do yeah, it's kind of a self-feeding cycle because we have two parties. And because of that, when people, you know, are learning about politics, they take sides. And the only sides they can really take, except for the few people who will look past the two major parties, are either one or the other. And that just means that then we have more supporters that are on the two extremes and there's no in between. And that will just and then that's just kept going for so long. Mm -hmm. so I also think there's an issue with um, politicians on both parties who kind of just say their party's rhetoric and then the other party says their rhetoric <laughs> and people kind of attack each other in the press but they sometimes they have misleading statements they have misleading stories there are logical fallacies and that's the reason why we have political debates so that there can be responses in real time 
But I don't think the debates have really succeeded on that point. I think if we had less of a rigid party system, we could kind of have more nuanced conversations about nuanced issues. How do we deal, and I think you brought up a good point, how do we deal or address the misinformation that both parties um, perpetuate? How do we deal? I mean, it seems like in, you know, the campaign for, for presidency, there are comments that are made on both sides that are inaccurate. They're blatantly untrue. Is there any way that we can address that kind of thing where at least those who are running for office don't need to put a spin on things. I mean, can we just tell it like it is? I mean, I guess it's your story, my story, and then the real story. I don't know. Well, I'll say this, which is in a in a democratic system like we have, full of checks and balances, mm-hmm. the check on this sort of thing is supposed to be the press. Mm-hmm. They're supposed to uh, cross-examine everything that every politician says pretty much, and that way they can catch outright lies. And um, I also, I know of this, I can't, I'm not sure I'm going to be able to remember the name of it, but there was a specific policy um, that was, I believe, repealed in the 80s um, that the um, uh, a communications uh, regulation that basically said that anything presenting itself as news media, um, so not editorial things, but news services, mm-hmm. had to, they had to present things in an unbiased way. They had to present all sides of a story. They could, there, it was a federal communications um, commission regulation, I believe. And um, I think the repeal of that, uh, which most people haven't really heard of this, but I think that might be part of why the news itself has become so um, polarized. You can tell which stations are for which parties. And I think if that weren't the case, and rather if journalists were just to check politicians, we would have a better system. Other comments? <laughs> I, I was just going to say that, like, um, I remember watching, like, uh, sorry, my brain is a little slower today, but uh, I remember watching a video, um, like, from the uh, Senate session in Florida. Yes, I was watching a video from the Senate <laughs> session in Florida from last year, and there were a couple of bills where I noticed that, um, some people, even though like the bill itself was kind of evidently unreasonable, but because that party, like the person that I guess uh, proposed that bill or was the one sponsoring that bill was um, a Republican or a Democrat or mm-hmm. whatever party they were affiliated with, the other members of the party were all kind of just like forced to bandwagon regardless of what their actual perspective was. And I think that's just like kind of to tell the reason why our issues only go one or two ways because they regardless of what their personal views are in order to make sure they are able to maintain their position of power and where they stand in general with their career and everything they can't truly make an impact because they have to follow what everyone else in their affiliated party is doing that's a good point that kind of opens up into the whole issue of intimidation because you find that so many people, at least I've 
I have heard in the Republican Party who may not agree with the policies and the positions feel like they can't really vocalize how they feel because they're worried about they've been intimidated. They're worried about the lives of their families. Where does, well, I don't know that it fits any place, but what about the intimidation that is used to get people in line and keep them there? How do you feel about that? Because there seems to be a lot of that going around this right now, particularly on the Republican side. That's where I'm hearing it. You know, that, well, I don't really agree, but I, I, I you know, off the record, I, I have to, um, you know, i got to follow that party line. Yeah, I've heard about that, too. And I would just wonder, not that I necessarily, I don't know the facts about this, so I can't mm-hmm. necessarily say that I support it or not. But we currently offer secret service to, uh, you know, the president and their family and the top levels of government. And how much would it cost to kind of implement some protection? Maybe not like a full secret service detail, but some kind of protection for legislators and their families who are receiving death threats. Um, I think that might be a way to do that. I also just want to say that I did um, some research. I found that the policy I was talking about was the Fairness Doctrine of the Federal Communication Commission. Mm -hmm. Uh, It was introduced in 1949 and repealed in 1987. It required holders of broadcast licenses both to present controversial issues of public importance and to do so in a manner that fairly reflected differing viewpoints. So. Okay. Other comments, uh, particularly about this whole intimidation, because that seems to be something that you hear pretty regularly um, from talking heads, various programs, where people are verbalizing they, they really don't always agree with various positions, but they don't feel the freedom to disagree what role does intimidation play? Do you think it should play any role at all? How do we get away from it? Amon. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, you know, I mean, I know you all are just kind of sitting there like, ah, uh, well, but that seems to be a really a, a big issue. I know you all have heard of it. It comes up all yeah. the time, all the time. I think it's scary. I wouldn't want to be in their position. But also, I think it's like, I think it's something that we should kind of think about. Sit down and think about like, why it's so normal for Mm -hmm. um, people to feel the need, like in a situation where they don't agree with the politician or a public figure in general, why they feel the need to resort to a threat of violence. Mm -hmm. And I just... How did we get here? How did we get to this point? desensitization to everything going on in the world. And that just makes us feel like it's not a big deal to be threatening other people with their life. I mean, yeah, I think intimidation is unacceptable because, you know, um, at the end of the day, we're all one country and we must, you know, agree on issues. We... We all want the better for our people, and 
do the we? Best of our country. Well, do that might be the question. Do we want the better for all of our people? And you know, some of this is rhetorical, but I mean that's the way it should be, and I understand what you're saying. But in real time, is that what's going on? Do we really want the better? You know, some people they, we have some real issues with. And the political parties may have some issues with them. I do wonder how new this is, because I think there's always been, you know, issues with people who disagree, you know, if you disagree with some person, like threatening them. And, and I mm-hmm. think this has always existed in our government. So I, I just wonder how much this is a new thing, like, uh, there's probably, I, I'm sure there's been an increase recently. That's why I've heard. But mm-hmm. for the large part, this idea has existed and not often has anything been acted on. So uh, while I think it, it would be good to have some kind of protection for the people who are, you know, getting these threats, it's also something where most of these are just going to be empty statements about, you know, I'm angry about this thing, so I'm going to message this person, try and convince them when really they have no ability to go through with that threat. Well, I don't know. That's something that we may entertain for the next program because we are just about out of time. So, and it will be next year before I talk to you, um, but you all have a peaceful holiday um, because it is time out. And that's it for this edition of 411 Team. Many thanks to my politics rap panelists and student producers. To my listening audience, appreciate for your time and ear. This is Dr. Liz Hollyfield inviting you to tune in next week, same time, same place, to get the 411 on 411 Team. Four One One Team was produced by Dr. Liz Hollyfield. Technical assistance was provided by Evan Rossi. If you would like to participate in the Four One One Team or have suggestions for discussion topics, call eight five zero six four five seven two zero zero. You can listen to previous episodes of Four One One Team at wfsu.org.